Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 263, Dream Telepathy. We're going into your head while you sleep and trying to talk to you. Wendy, how you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you, Mike? I am hanging in there on a long Monday night. It is 9 p.m. September 9th, you know, so it's 9-9-9. Uh, so the, 2019. I be- so I believe this is a lucky nine podcast. All right, cool. And uh, it is my... It is Allison Jornland's birthday today. Happy birthday, Allison. Uh, yeah, my sister, we were trying to get her to come on at 999, but she's at a sweat lodge today. So she's doing something cool uh, in there. She's like, oh, I'm a sweat lodge. I'm like, all right, have yeah. fun. I hope she sees something uh, unusual in all the heat and everything and has a spiritual experience herself. That'd be awesome. It would be awesome. Um, all right. But today we want to talk just a little bit about dreams Wendy, when's the last time you had a dream you remember? Last night. Okay. Well, I don't really remember all of it. My my dreams tend to come back in bits and pieces. And the weirdest part of the one that I remember from last night was just a, a hot air balloon crash landing in my my childhood home front yard. <laughs> so analyze that. <laughs> all right. That's a. How about you? That it, I had a dream last night um, that we were going to play a show. And it was at a venue I didn't like. Uh oh. But actually, it's a venue that didn't exist. But in my dreams, okay. I'm like, oh, this dump. I hate playing this place. <laughs> anyway, I wasn't going to get dressed until before the show. So I was completely naked setting up. Awesome. And it really was <laughs> nice weird. Nice work. <laughs> I was just like, because I was like, oh, uh. I'm like, oh, no. I just, I was trying to make it like, well, I don't want people to see my show outfit or whatever beforehand, but like we were setting up and everything and I was just naked. (laughs) And it was like that dream when you go to school and you're naked. Yeah. Like, or or you show up for a public speech or something like that. Right. But it was like that. And then, but nobody seemed to think it was a big deal except for me. Cause like in the beginning I thought it was a good idea. And then I was like, oh man, I'm sitting here at this bar, like trying to get a beer before the, you know, but while we're setting up or whatever. So I'm like sitting, I'm like, I'll get a beer before the server. I'll buy a pitcher or something. And I'm just buck naked. Well, um, I'll, I'll tell you what, Mike, as your bandmate and a good friend, I promise I won't let that dream come true. All right. Thank you. If, if I see you without clothes, I'll give you a heads up to, to do something or about th- that. Throw a show. blanket on me. Do something. Be like... Right, we got. There's gonna be a blanket in the van. Just throw the blanket on me and be like, "There you go." Uh, anyway, so that yeah. So you right. had hot air balloons crashing. Yeah, and uh, I was. I mean, that's a classic kind of dream that you could interpret as maybe I felt unprepared to play. Yeah, sure. Or I felt naked and vulnerable because we're playing at a place that was a dump that I never wanted to play again. <laughs> but if we, you know, if, if we stopped playing at places that were dumps that I never wanted to play again, we wouldn't play shows. Our career would, would be over. Right. We wouldn't have a music <laughs> career, period. So, <sighs> but it's that kind of um, interest in dreams. Like we're sitting there going, what can they mean? What can, ha- you know, what can they, what can they be about? And I mean, I think the modern scientific interpretation of dreams is that they don't mean a damn thing. You know, yeah. it, it's just random neurons firing. Yep. Or maybe sometimes you are trying to figure something out in your head. We've talked about lucid dreaming before, and I've gotten much better at lucid dreaming lately. Oh, yeah? Well, what happens is you might be able to hear one of my cats moaning in the background here of where oh, I'm talking. Okay. That's, I was wondering if I was hearing some kind of a paranormal... Uh, a paranormal beastie? signal coming through <laughs> right no, no i wish it was no a it's just beastie. it's an actual beastie it's an actual beastie but what happens is since my wife wakes up early in the morning to go to the gym or whatever and i wake up a couple hours later uh when our three-year-old wakes up what happens is once she wakes up to go to the gym in walks in the cat and then just meow meow 
uh-huh. like right next to me, like on the pillow, on her pillow. Well, just sit there and meow at me until I wake up, pet him for a few minutes and fall back asleep. But he's like a lucid dreaming clock. Oh, cool. So what'll happen is when I fall back to sleep, immediately that's when I'm going to have a dream I remember. That's when I'm going to have a... It also helps if I'm not drinking the night before because alcohol interferes with our delta... (laughs) Well, when you first fall asleep uh, after you're wasted or whatever, um, you immediately... You fall into that deep, deep sleep. (laughs) You do for for a couple hours, but you don't get the healthy REM sleep where we're dreaming. Right. That's like the rebuilding kind of sleep anyway. um, And then after a few hours, you wake up and have trouble falling back asleep. But so... If I've if I've not tippled the night before, then it's not too bad to I fall back asleep after the ca- after I pet the cat for a couple of uh-huh. minutes, and that's when immediately I'll go into a dream. Like it'll be something I remember, mm. and because I n- knew I was just awake, and because yeah. this, this has happened now at our at the house we've been at for the past five months, now it feels like because it's like okay, I'm dreaming. You're aware as you go back in, right? And so. Like today, like halfway through the dream, when I was buck naked at the show, uh, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm dreaming because I'm not usually this stupid. And also, if I was sitting there naked ordering a beer, the bartender would be like, hey, you know, yeah, hey, you know, I can see your jobs and get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Right? This is not, we don't live in some hedonistic, this isn't, um, this isn't Europe. We have to wear clothes when we play. It's funny you said that it's been within the past like five months because I've also had within the past, you know, six months to a year, probably I've also gotten my lucid dreaming has gotten much better. It seems like because I, I hit snooze a lot on my alarm. Sure. Hey, no shame in that game. <laughs> and I don't know what has changed, but I just started noticing that when I hit the snooze button, I go back to sleep. I've been returning into the dream that I was having beforehand. And oh. so same as with you. After this happening a few times, then I started becoming more conscious of it and paying closer attention as I was like, oh, I wonder if I can get back in there and see what's going to happen, you know, when I do wake up. So it's kind of fun. I haven't really done anything with it other than to notice it and kind of... You haven't tried to fly or anything yet? I haven't yet, but maybe I'll make that a goal. Yeah, give it a shot. Whenever I figured it out, I I try to fly. This last dream, I didn't try to fly because I didn't want my wang blowing around the wind or whatever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So okay. I was like, oh, that's going to be uncomfortable. That's great. I should at least, I should at least get a cup or something <laughs> if I'm going to fly. Yeah, uh, not very aerodynamic. No, not at all. Um, so I just like, I'm not going to fly on this one. But usually I try to fly or do something cool. And then there's the whole idea of when you kind of are feeling yourself coming out of the lucid dream and going to awake, you try to spin yourself around and spin yourself around. And that's supposed to keep you... Um, that's supposed to keep you inside the dream. Hmm. Because a lot of times when you know you're dreaming, your body will try to wake you up. Uh, and, okay. you know, these are the kind of things that they talk about at one of the places we're going to be discussing today. Um, the Maimonides Institute, uh, it was a sleep institute um, that was developed in the 60s in New York City. And they had done experiments in lucid dreaming, dream telepathy. Originally, because they want to understand the state of dreaming better because it's, mm. you know, because, because everybody's sleeping, it's hard to study it. <laughs> yes. Um, but also they have nightmare therapy there. So they do things where they try to help people work through people that have horrible nightmares, um, especially people that have PTSD, you know, post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder. And they've got horrible nightmares where they keep on reliving the experience. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that would be difficult. So now uh, it's cool that they developed a whole like nightmare therapy. And you could tell that, especially when that uh, institute was developed, um, well, there's going to be a ton of guys with PTSD because of how many people served in the Second World War. Mm -hmm. So you have guys that are 10 years later, I mean, shell-shocked and still having the same dreams about fighting the Germans or the Japanese. And so this idea of uh, helping people kind of control their dreams, understand their dreams better, that, you know, the next step in that is that if we can start figuring out what's going on in our dreams, we can start figuring out if there's any kind of paranormal activity in there. Mm-hmm. Cool. So 
You remember Inception? Yes, I do. You know, it's kind of old now. Like, it feels like an old, like, I think about it. It does. Inception, you're like, oh, that's kind of an old movie. It's not, it's not that old. It's not even 10 years old yet. <laughs> but it, that was one of my favorites, I think, of the even the past 20 years. Not only because of the, uh, the special effects were awesome in it. It was just such a cool idea. Yeah. The idea that uh, not only could you suggest dreams to people to make things happen, but you could also go in there and convince people to do things inside their dreams. And also, I think it's one of the first movies I saw that really got into the time dilation that happens when you are dreaming. Ah, okay, yeah. So this idea that, uh, you know, a half an hour in the dream world can be five minutes in real life kind of thing. Because I remember realizing that as a kid, I'd have the radio on next to me uh, when I was sleeping. And so sometimes in the dream, I would hear a song and I would hear the entire song through the dream. Wow. I'd sing along to it or hear the entire song. Huh. And when I... And then when I woke up, like, so let's say this was one of those days in sixth grade or something where I was snoozing, you know, and at yeah. the last 10 minutes, I'd fall back asleep. And uh, when I woke up, like the song would just be on the first verse or something. Huh. So I'd hear the entire song and go through the entire song in my head. Wow, that's cool. And then when I woke up, I'd hear the song again. I'm like, ah, oh, this thing again. <laughs> Doesn't this station play anything else? <laughs> Same crap. Like, come on now. But Inception really got that right, I think, where time happens differently in dreams. And it's because our consciousness, you know, when you, when you think about the way our consciousness experiences time, you know, th there's some theories about it, but you know that when you're in a fight or flight um, kind of situation, the first thing people say, or people are in a car accident, they're in something where they're in some kind of life-threatening incident. The first thing they say is, it was like time slowed down. And they go into, they, they felt like 15 seconds was 10 minutes huh. kind of thing. And so the way your brain, uh, uh, your way you're, not just your brain, but your, your consciousness processes time is different depending on the neurons that are firing, depending on the adrenaline that's shooting through you. And so there's no reason then that we think of when, when the consciousness is not uh, interpreting external stimuli but interpreting internal stimuli that it will process it at whatever speed it wants to process it so like if I, i'm talking to you and you say some words to me in the physical material world here out <laughs> here and, and plus and we're dealing with one thing beyond consciousness we're dealing with computers talking to each other right over distance and then our consciousness processing that so i have to wait till your words go through the computer and they hit my eardrums or whatever before i can figure out what you're talking about but if it's if we're all producing these things ourselves then our consciousness just it uh it processes it as fast as it can mm -hmm. and so that's why dreams have a completely different something that can feel hours long in a dream or you know sometimes i feel like i wake up from a dream and i feel like someone like a character i created in my head or whatever is someone that i knew my whole life oh when yeah I knew them for mm -hmm. you know a half an hour right and when you dream up a person and they uh it really can like you can create someone in your head and you wake up and you like oh I'll never see that person again. And you miss them. Isn't that funny? <laughs> right. And you're like, I'm missing someone that's not An even an imaginary real. friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm a loser. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, I've got real friends, and here I miss the fake one. <laughs> so I think, you know, Inception really kind of gets that. And it's funny that um, the guy that, you know, wrote Inception, Christopher Nolan, he originally came up with that idea like 10 years before he made the movie. And... Uh, they didn't have the, like the technology he didn't think was there to make it. And it took him uh, like 10 years and he made the Batman movies in between and whatever to kind of to get the whole idea together and then put the movie together. So they not only do things in that, like they, they show that consciousness processes time differently while people dream. And then it shows um, that dreams can be suggested. And, you know, people, they use a, like the science fiction device of like this little box 
whenever oh, yeah. that helps suggest people's dreams. And then they can go in there with right. them. So that's the, that's the real science fiction-y part. Not only that you can suggest a dream to someone and it'll happen, but then you join them in it. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the first movie to do that. We've talked about Dreamscape before, which is the first, like the first PG-13 movie. <laughs> or it was one of the first PG-13 movies. But it was also um, that, you know, showed us the idea of other people being in, in, able to invade your dreams. Right. And to go in there and join you. But the thing is, like, Dreamscape wasn't the first movie that, that came up with that idea. Uh, I mean, people have been, this idea that dreamland is somewhere where we can talk to people. Like it's a world, normal world, basically. Yes. It's somewhere else we're visiting. You know, when, when we talked to uh, a dream expert last year, I mean, he was going off and saying like, well, every time you go to a dream world, you're going to a parallel universe. And that got a little much for me because I'm like, all right, well, then all these other, like I have plenty of nightmares. So these parallel universes suck. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't want to be visiting that world. You would, you would choose to go right. elsewhere to a different world that's not right. unpleasant. And it's completely, uh, you know, against modern science, this idea that when you're dreaming, you're actually going somewhere outside of your head mm. and not just dealing with uh, internal desires and troubles and maybe just your neurons firing randomly. In fact, speaking of neurons, this is, we'll stick with the... Um, the hard science portion of this for a second before we start moving into the ESP research that they've done where they have tried to create shared experiences with people dreaming. And they've tried to use dreaming as an altered state of consciousness to maybe make you more open to ESP. Mm. Not you particularly, Wendy. Not yet. We're still going to work right, on that. Right, right. We're still going to give that a try. <laughs> um, Disappointed. But just, but just the idea um, of... Like, okay, well, here's the stuff we can prove, and then here's the stuff that we're still working mm-hmm. on. So, you know, this is from uh, a couple years back, and actually, so 2015, and uh, it's, it's an article that's like, studies show that inception is possible, at least in sleeping mice. And so I thought that this is like a fascinating study, and uh, the Industrial Physics and Chemistry Higher Education Institution in Paris. Okay. What their scientists did was they placed electrodes into a part of the mouse uh, in the hippocampus. And the hippocampus has electrical signals uh, in specific places that um, represent specific places. So if I'm in my bedroom, my hippocampus has a cell that fires when I'm in that place. It's for location. It's for like knowing where you are. It's for familiarity. And so it has a specific neuron associated with it. Um, I'm in my basement right now uh, because that's where cool guys hang out. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And no, I'm in my basement right now because that's the least echoey part of my house. (laughs) And I'm still working out the details of the new house to figure out a a good room to record in. A studio. Right. To turn it into a big party studio um, where where I can record alone. Uh, No, but the... uh, the idea is, so we have these parts in our brain that will fire when we're in certain locations, and they're in the hippocampus, the hippocampus. And so what they did was they would monitor the mice that have electrodes in their brain and monitor them when they were in a specific area. And so the scientists were able to locate the specific cells that fired in those locations. So they knew that these cells would only fire when they were in this certain place. All right. So... When the mice were sleeping, the electrodes uh, in those uh, certain place cells, which they called them, would still fire. So they were showing that the mice were dreaming about these specific places. So what the researchers did was they would use the electrodes to then send a reward signal to a different part of the brain uh, when specific locations they were dreaming about. Uh, While they were dreaming about those locations, they would fire off the reward signal. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's cool. So what it would do is it would create a positive association with that place while they slept. Okay, so if they were watching your brain, Mike. Yes. And they saw you go to the refrigerator and take out a beer. They wouldn't even ha- they wouldn't even have to fire. Right? Oh no, no, no. They would just see you go to the refrigerator. Just you go to the refrigerator. 
and they would observe which where in your brain that showed up. And then while you were sleeping, when that area activated, they would give you a beer. <laughs> Pretty much. They would, that's exactly right. They okay. would send positive reinforcement. Uh, okay, gotcha. So while that while the refrigerator cells were firing my hippocampus, they would send the re- you know the the positive area of the brain or whatever. Um, they they'd throw in some dopamine. Or they would just excite. Uh, I see. And give Something... you a positive. Re- so they they would technically give you an electrode beer when you <laughs> okay. went, when I went to the fridge. Got and it. Okay. So and the, so when the mice woke, they ran directly toward the place that was associated wow. with the reward signal. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean. So they were affecting, the theory is that they were affecting what was happening in the dream from external. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously the mice can't talk and be like, oh man, I was dreaming about the fridge. (laughs) Unless it's Mickey. (laughs) Right. Mickey, I was dreaming about the fridge. I really needed a beer because Donald was a jerk today. No, but I mean, that just idea uh, you know, that that's possible us while we're sleeping, they can find out what we're doing, you know, what we're dreaming about, and then they can pop stuff in there. Uh, right now you can't do that to humans because if you put an electrode directly on the brain, you're going to have to like, you know, cut off the top of somebody's head. Hmm. Like I remember at university of Wisconsin, that was something we had to check out was a mouse with an electrode with electrodes, you know, plugged right in their brain. And it was fairly unpleasant. Yeah. That does not sound nice. Yeah, it wasn't like a, you know... It wasn't like you just put a little hat on it. No. No, it's definitely not like a little hat. Unless that hat revolves removing the skull cap. Oh. Yeah, no. Right. So it's that kind of idea uh, that, you know, that something we know we can do. You know, we know that is possible by finding out what parts of the brain are firing. Well, they're already doing that also with parts of the brain associated with speech. And so as they're finding uh, where words are associated in people's heads, they're using that to help people who like, you know, people who are paralyzed to help them speak, to help them communicate. And that's been something they've been working on now for several years. And every once in a while, you'll see some kind of article that comes out and like blows your mind. It's like, person in wheelchair can speak through a computer and has, hasn't been able to talk in 20 years kind of thing. And so they are doing this kind of research in, in people, um, not quite as invasive as the mice or whatever, but they, they are able to tell like speech centers the words that people are thinking. Huh. Which That's we should cool. all be very worried. Yeah, it's scary, but cool. <laughs> right. Because, you know, I'm thinking about wearables. You know what I mean? Like we, we have these smart wearables now. Like yeah, I'm wearing Fitbits an Apple Watch. And, you're, wearing a, you're wearing a smart watch. People have Fitbits and stuff like that all the time, just in their watch. And they wanted to make the glasses cool, right? And then that just didn't quite work. I don't know why. Because it seemed like to me that was a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. I want Google some glass those. never took off. Yeah. Um, you know that they have already, I mean, think about Stephen Hawking. Like he was able to type things by just moving his eyes around. Amazing. So they already have stuff that's able to detect, you know, small things in, in human physical. Like as soon as we start figure out a way to detect where, like where the electrical impulses are going off in the brain, and they can already do that a little bit with a home EEG kit. Hmm. Um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, too. So when the technology gets good enough to get super precise about where things are going off in our brains, they're going to be able to read our minds pretty quick. Yeah. So it, it's not just privacy that I'm worried about. It's that people will, well, people will know what I think about them. <laughs> right. And then I will have no friends. They'll know the truth, Mike. <laughs> right. As soon as they're like, oh, my God. You know, uh, and so, or just people know what I think in general, and I will have no friends. <laughs> so technology is not that far off, but the idea of us being able to share a dream together. Now that is that is still pretty far off. Uh, so the world of Inception, where you just, you know, you get a suitcase in the same room and sneak into somebody's dream, or in Dreamscape, they just did it through massive ESP powers. Uh, that's not quite there yet. Hmm. That doesn't mean 
that people haven't believed they've been able to share dreams, uh, you know, for all of history. Uh, the, the Maori, um, the people of New Zealand, I mean, they believed the dreamer's soul could travel to the, to the land of the dead right. and talk with their friends who'd passed. Mm-hmm. The indigenous people of Borneo, uh, they had special spirits of the dead who came to visit them during their dreams. And, uh, you know, a lot of North American Indians, too, also had this idea that they could connect with other people at faraway distances through their dreams. Now, it wasn't these things weren't done in any kind of scientific thing. It was just this idea that sometimes you'd see somebody who you knew in your dream, if they were dead or alive, and you felt like you were connecting with them beyond the usual dreamscape. Okay. So... Uh, especially shaman and medicine men who were more connected with the spirits and more connected with the idea that the soul can leave the body had this idea that you could have dream telepathy. Mm -hmm. And so if you guys don't know what telepathy is, you're listening to the wrong podcast. (laughs) Nice. No. (laughs) If you don't know what telepathy is. We do talk about it uh, a lot. (laughs) Right. It's this idea that you can talk to people with just your thoughts. So telepathic means uh, when you're empathic, it means that you can detect another person's emotions. When you're telepathic, it means you can directly communicate what they thought. So it's like telephone, talking on a telephone, um, but your telephones are your heads and you're not using your voices. Right. And so, you know, that's been mostly all anecdotal evidence through time. Uh, the Society of Psychical Research that's the basically the people that invented parapsychology in the modern era. Um, that was something that they tried uh, to to broach in their book, Phantasms of the Living. And they've got 149 cases of dream telepathy. And they called it extrasensory communication of impressions of any kind from one mind to another. But everything was very anecdotal. So, like, here's an example that they use in Phantasms of the Living. My brother and father were on a journey, and I dreamt I saw a father driving in a sledge, followed another by my brother. They had to pass a crossroad in which another traveler was driving very fast, also on a sledge with one horse. Father sent it to drive on without observing the other fellow, who would have driven over my father if he had not made his horse rear, so that I saw my father drive under the hooves of the horse. Every moment, I expected the horse to fall down and crush him, and I called out, Father, Father, and woke in great fright. And the next day, he discovered that his brother and father were on a journey, and uh, they did pass a crossroad, and his dad almost got hit by the horse. Wow, interesting. So, I mean, that's what most of the stuff they talk about in Phantasms of the Living. It's all anecdotal things. Yeah, not verifiable. <laughs> right. I mean, we've had like, an anecdote like that in my family. Where um, my cousin, or the man who's married to my cousin, um, all my cousins are a lot older than I am because my mother was 20 years younger than her sister, and she had kids 20 years after, 20 years later than when her sister did. So um, my cousin, he told me this story probably when I was maybe 16 years old or something, and he was already in his late 40s. And he was talking about how his father had passed. And, you know, I was talking about how I like ghost stories and things. And he's like, well, I didn't really see a ghost. But the night before my father died, I had dreamed that I was, you know, in this white room with my father. And my brother was there. And my father was telling us it was okay that he passed. And... Um, that, you know, he was no longer going to be in pain and he, you know, told us to take care of ourselves and he'd always look over us kind of thing. The kind of thing you usually hear about when you think about a comforting apparition of someone who dies saying goodbye. Uh. And when he talked to his brother the next day, his brother brought it up and said, you know, I had a dream about you both last night. We were in a white room and dad was talking to us and he was saying it was okay. And he was, you know, that we should take care of ourselves or whatever, and that he would watch over us, blah, 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 kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, man. So not only did they have like a ghost dream, they both had the same dream. So it was like a shared dream with their dad, like a That's shared really ghost cool. dream. And 
That's the kind of stuff that people talk about in the Phantasms of the Living book. Because it's, you know, usually uh, the characteristics are, number one, it's someone in imminent danger. So it's very much like a crisis apparition. A crisis apparition is when people will see uh, a ghost of someone they love who is maybe far away, but they see them during when something horrible happens. A lot of people will talk about crisis apparitions happening um, when their mother's in a car accident or something, or their sister, and they'll, they'll see a ghost of that person in their house, or they'll see, their, they'll see the person pass through their house when they shouldn't be there. And they realize at the same time that was happening that the person was in the car accident or whatever, or they'll get a phone call from them, and they'll just talk about nothing for a second. Like The person will just like, just wanted to check in on you. Like, okay, everything's cool. Like, okay, well, I'll talk to you later then. And, and that will be some kind of like regular phone call they'll get, but that person will be, have been either in the accident at the time or in the ambulance. Yeah, that's spooky. On the way home. So, you know, it's usually the dreams concern something of death. It's somebody who's related or a friend of them. And usually a lot of times it's people who don't have psychic abilities or experiences in other parts of their life. So to them, this is a big deal because they're not someone that usually has a psychic encounter. So they've been studying, you know, dream telepathy. It's, it started in the 1800s. It's kind of when they first got in there. That's probably the first time they call it okay. telepathy. Sigmund Freud talks about it. Uh, in 1921, he writes like an entire thing on the occult and psychoanalysis. And he's got a paper on dreams and telepathy. And he, he was going to lecture, actually delivered as a lecture. Um, but he never actually did. But he did write it up. And so Freud was obviously interested in dreams because he's basically our modern guy for dream analysis. So the idea, when Freud developed psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud did it in the early 20th century, he's saying that we can cure people who are mentally ill by talking about their problems. They called psychoanalysis the talking cure. And when, in the past, when people had mental illness, they just, you know, they shoved them in a, uh, they gave them a lobotomy, or they shoved them in an institution, or they considered it weakness, they didn't consider it a sickness, in, in that kind of way that could be, they didn't consider it a sickness that could be cured through talking. Now the idea of, talking to a therapist or whatever is normal because we've had a hundred years of Sigmund Freud. So, well, actually now the psychiatrist is not going to talk to you. He's just going to give you drugs. Right. But that's because they don't have time to talk to you anymore. Right. Yeah. The budget only has that much. <laughs> right. So the, here's a, here's a, here's a chemical shortcut. Um, right. Here's your beer when you go to the fridge. <laughs> um, so, but Sigmund Freud, he didn't necessarily believe in telepathy and dreams, but he thought it couldn't be proven or disproven because he did. He talked to people about their dreams constantly because that was part of his cure was, what are you dreaming about? And then he'd always relate it to sex because that's what Freud did because everything to him, every problem mm-hmm. that people had was had to do with some kind of sexual dysfunction or some kind of desire, sexual desire that wasn't being satisfied or... So, he, I mean, he based most of his talking cure on, well, we got a sexual problem here. Um, and, but your dreams aren't going to be any different. And so he himself said uh, that he had two potentially telepathic dreams. One was a dream of the death of his son, and the other was the dream of the death of his sister-in-law. But he said, well, they, you know, I don't think they're telepathic because... I just think that I was expecting them to die or worried that they were going to die, and then they died shortly after. So your mind was already kind of working on that while you were asleep. And- right. If you, if you dream about the death of someone that's terminally ill, you wouldn't necessarily right. call that yeah. a psychic dream. You would just say, I'm dreaming about somebody who's terminally mm-hmm. ill. But, I mean, he did think this. So he talks about this. He wrote a paper on it. I mean, the, the, I mean people still study Freud. I studied Freud in college. Um, and you know, we would have professors who were psychoanalysts, 
uh, who grew up in the Freudian tradition. And so this idea that he was down, at least with thinking the idea that telepathic dreaming, uh, and it could happen that people could communicate with each other through their dreams, um, you know, he's at least okay with it. Whereas if you talk to a psychiatrist today and he tries to write something up about telepathic dreaming, they're not going to publish that in psychology today, <laughs> right. let's say. So Freud brings it up. Then in the 1940s, uh, they start studying it again. Um, in fact, there's some studies done in the 1940s that people are seeing as uh, in the lab, they're saying that you know people were able to actually accomplish uh, telepathic dreaming and that they were able to send messages to each other and interact in the dreams. But um, the papers didn't really, like the papers weren't really respected. Like they were accepted by a couple of different uh, journals, but the fact that they became more controversial than anything and nobody was able to replicate them. So, you know, the biggest thing that they were able to do was start using uh, REM monitoring like this is the best thing that came from those studies, even though they weren't really able to prove anything when it came to t like, obviously the idea of a study is not necessarily to prove that you can <laughs> do psychic crap in your sleep, but uh, they were useful in saying that, okay, when people are in this rapid eye movement state, that's when they're probably dreaming. Makes sense. So then, you know, these studies in the 1940s, they started being like, okay, well, here's how we actually study how people dream. So in the past, you would just have the Freudian way of, I'm telling Sigmund about my dreams, or you're telling a, a psychical researcher in the 1850s <laughs> or whatever. You'd be like, oh, yes, sir, I had a dream that my father was going to be run over by a horse. And then the next day, I found out that it was really happened. Um, so... It's not like when you study REM, because in REM, you can see, okay, the, the eyes are going, they're dreaming. Mm -hmm. You can wake them up right after. So you start eliminating that whole day where also you can forget your dreams, because they always say, if you want to be a better dreamer, I'm not necessarily a, a lucid dreamer, I'm a, a better dreamer. <laughs> well, I guess if you have a lot of nightmares like I used to have, then being a better dreamer would be not being attacked by things in your dreams. Or also b maybe being able to remember your dreams better. Because we don't know if there are nights where you wake up and you don't remember dreaming, that doesn't mean that you didn't dream, <laughs> no, right? That's right. No, that's exactly right. Um, it's just, it's just because my dad, like, I'd be like, "Hey, Dad, you know what do you dream about?" And he's like, "Nothing." <laughs> he just straight like, like nothing. I'm like, "Well, don't you?" He's like, "I'm like, don't you remember your dreams?" He goes, "I don't dream." <laughs> come on he's like no i just i don't remember any of them oh and so it's got to be the kind of thing where you got to write it down you got to practice it so i always say yeah. if, you know to to remember your dreams better or to be more involved in your dream life like let's say um we, I mean, we talked about the aborigines before and the rich life that the australian aboriginal people have in their dream that's developed from a young age because they are taught how to remember their dreams, to talk about it, to treat their dream life like it's a, like it is a different world that you visit. Yeah. And whether or not it's a different world you visit, it's still cool to be able to do stuff in your dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. <laughs> or, or even if it's not just horrific, even if it's mm -hmm. not just you naked at a bar and feeling <laughs> self-conscious, <laughs> even if, if I could just manifest some underwear, it would have been better. There you go. <laughs> like that, a speedo would be fine. It would still be less awkward. Yeah. than just having the bait and tackle out there. And that the thing is, is that if you can... Uh, <laughs> bait and tackle. Start, if, you, if, you can, uh, if you can start doing that a little, it, it becomes, your dreaming experience can be more pleasant. Yeah. And you can even work on things in your life that you want to contemplate or, you know, they say if you can get a handle on the lucid dreaming, it's a place where you can do that that might give you some insights that you wouldn't normally have in your waking life. Yeah, because people have been able to write songs in their dreams. Like, I have yet to write a song in the dream. I've ha I have had, like, snippets of a rhyme. Mm, nice. And I'd write that down. Uh, or I'd have a song title. 
Oh, and I'd wow. be like, oh, here's our here's our new song. Yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, that's a cool name for a song. When I woke up, I'm like, I write that down yeah. so I don't forget it. I have melodies for sure. I wake up with a melody in my head sometimes. And you can just sing it. And that's a, that's a I mean, very famous people have done that um, because your mind's still working. Mm-hmm, right. And, you know, I don't want to solve problems all the time in my dream because I'm sick of like solving problems in my day life. <laughs> yeah. That I want to be like, oh, God, the dreaming is the only time I can be well, naked in a bar. Yeah, but there's a difference between, you know, it's kind of how they say meditating helps you with that kind of stuff, too, because it's like that's right. A clear place. It's you're out of your daily, the daily problem solving type situation. And then that can allow you to look at things maybe deeper or I don't know. That's right. No, I, you know, I, I agree with you there. And it, it, you're also completely looking inside. Right. So, you know, when we, when we talked about psychic experimentation before, um, the most... Uh, repeatable results have happened during uh, what's known as the Gonsfeld procedure, and they even do this when they talk about the uh, the the what's it called the Stanley is it the Stanley method? Oh yeah, right. Where you it's sensory deprivation. Um, you put the ping pong balls over your eyes. I don't know why it's always ping pong balls and not just a blindfold. I think it's because they look creepier. They do look creepy. <laughs> And, no, actually, it uh, might be it might be so that, you know, it, it kind of diffuses the light, makes it like an even instead of just having darkness over your eyelids, sure. there's still like light coming in, but it's even. I don't know. Well, no, that's right. Because, you know, a lot of times in the in the Gonsfeld, they'll actually but when the but the ping pong balls also have a red light. Over oh, OK. So there you go. So it's it, it, it's no like real visual sense because you're just getting one color of everything. And maybe also so you don't have to shut your eyes so hard and think about yeah. it. But the idea is that sensory deprivation, and we talked about this in the whole episode of flotation and the sensory deprivation tanks, which I highly recommend because they're totally awesome. But putting people in sensory deprivation to this idea where you don't have any external stimuli to distract you, that's that's the idea is that puts you in a better state to be receptive to messages. And when are you more internally stimulated? Stimulated, I was supposed to say, <laughs> when you're sleeping. Right, those synapses are right. firing. The only thing that's firing at what's in your head, and it's only coming from the stimuli that you create. Or are influenced, you can't be influenced by anything that's outside your body. And so, now, in the 60s, that's when they really start getting into dream experimentation. And so, uh, there's a guy named Montague Ullman, Tracy Ullman's dad, no, it's not Tracy Ullman's dad. It's nice. Really awesome it was. <laughs> but um, Montague Ullman, first of all, is a great name for a scientist. That is pretty sweet. And he starts working at this uh, Maimonides Institute. And he's, you know, he starts getting into using EEGs mm-hmm. and seeing uh, how the brain waves are going, what parts of the brain are firing you know, during sleep. So they start being able to use EEGs as a way to find out where people are in the dream cycle yeah and in, in, the, in so they can be like okay this guy is in rem how do we know is it because you get we're, are we sitting there staring right at you have a, a something that's measurable that you can take a note of right and remember the 60s is a really groovy time too <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> okay. But when we're talking about the 60s, we're talking about an era where, you know, people are, it's this, the, the new age is upon us. We're coming upon the age of Aquarius, the, the summer of love. And not, you know, and we talked about hippies in a, I guess this summer specifically, because we were talking about Charles Manson a bunch. We've talked about them in a pretty negative light because, you know, the, the proto hippie. Uh, ended up being a murderer. Mm-hmm. But also, hippies were great because they helped us see things from a different perspective, introduced new kinds of spirituality into society. Right, and it made it kind of almost acceptable. Right, and these new ideas were able to get in there. So, okay, so Montague Ullman starts working with Dr. Stanley Krippner, who he's still, Stanley Krippner's still alive. Um, and he's got a great episode of Joe Rogan, if you got three hours to listen to it or whatever, um, where he talks a little bit about this. But uh, Dr. Krippner, that he's, first of all, Dr. Krippner's from Wisconsin, so, you know, shout out. Uh, even though he lives in Oakland now, and did most of his research in New York. But they start doing these dream experiments. They start getting in telepathy, and uh, they actually do research with the Grateful Dead. All right, now we're talking. 
Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, he was like friends with Mickey Hart, the drummer of the Grateful Dead. So Stanley Kripner was, was friends. And when they were doing some of these sleep experiments at the same time, people were also doing experiments with LSD. Yeah. And a lot of these bands were doing LSD. Number one, because, I mean, acid rock, that's where the, I mean, that's where the ad <laughs> name comes from. And it's also legal. So it's not, I mean, you could buy LSD in the back of magazines. So when we think about this now, if you were doing LSD and embarking on a, um, some kind of uh, psychedelic experience, like the, the DEA wasn't going to blow your door down because it was just like drinking a beer or whatever. Uh, well, except you might spend eight hours in a fantasy land. <laughs> or a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the Grateful Dead were really into psychedelics, obviously. That was like their name. They came up with their name um, while they were all uh, like tripping <laughs> or whatever. Like they were, their name was the Warlocks Sweet. <laughs> or something. And so they were all at one of the guys' houses and uh, they needed to find a new name other than the Warlocks. And this guy had a big Oxford dictionary. They opened it and then they saw the words Grateful's dead, like juxtaposed. And I don't know how they saw it juxtaposed because G and D are different. Hmm. (laughs) But several of them at the same time saw like Grateful Dead and it looked like big black letters. He said, big black letters edged all around the gold, man, blasting out in me. Such a stunning combination. So I said, how about the Grateful (laughs) Dead? That was it. (laughs) Okay. And so they were used to these kind of, you know, experiments. And so what uh, Stanley Krippner wanted to do is because he knew these guys and he was also friends with this medicine man who was kind of controversial because he might not be a medicine Mm. man. Um, But he was born in Oklahoma and claimed to have uh, Native American heritage. He had uh, said his name was Rolling Thunder. That's what he called himself. And so he was always really into these kind of experiments. And he was also friends with Mickey Hart and Stanley Krippner. And because Stanley was doing this research in dreams, uh, he wanted to see if they could, uh, they, they were just doing stuff where one person was in one room and they were trying to send a message to a person in the other room. And they were doing it with, with okay. art. So they were just doing it with interesting art. And like you'd have, you know, a, a few... Uh, telepathic receivers and then a few telepathic te- telepathic senders and you know they are distant rooms of the place but um that's how they were doing their dream telepathy research and so um they were seeing some interesting statistical results which if you guys don't understand how statistics work when it comes to science it's a methodology where you can take if you have a big enough sample of people then you try to run a bunch of numbers to see if you can apply it to an entire population. And so, you know, the kind of experiments they were running is, here's one example uh, that Krippner writes. So this, ex- this obtained a statistically significant result, and you have a ra- randomly selected art print that is the School of the Dance by Degas, which is a dance class of several young women. You guys would recognize it. If the ballet dancers, right? Yep. And so the receivers... Uh, dream reports included phrases of I was in a class maybe made up of half a dozen people that felt like school there was one little there was one little girl who was trying to dance with me and so that this idea that okay like they had you know one person sending this picture by Degas and there was the the people were just writing what they dreamt about and so one person dreamt about school with half a dozen people and the other person dreamt about girls trying to dance mm. with them. And so once they like put it all together with the, uh, the amount of things that people decided that um, were statistically significant, it was like, all right, well, let's try to repeat this experiment. And so they would have several experiments that actually seemed to work, still not in the way that's a, a home run like we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we want to talk about where, Wendy, you go to sleep tonight, and I'm trying to send you... Uh, I don't know. Uh, At this time of the night, I'm going to send a like a lightning strike, bright flashlight into your dream. And then you see the brain light up at exactly that time right? where you think the person should be perceiving it or whatever. Like you want something very measurable, very 
exact and that doesn't rely a lot on the person's <laughs> own right, perception that, of it, right? That's the home run. Yeah. Uh, saying like, I, I've dreamed something about lightning is not necessarily the home <laughs> right. run. Yeah. Well, at least it's it's something in there. But um, so what they tried to do was in uh, 1970, um, they were having a rock concert that everybody at the rock concert was the telepathic senders. And so they had a, a, a light show that accompanied the music. And they had a projector up there where they could show slides. And so what they did was they showed a color film about eagles and their nesting habits on the movie projector. And the program for the slide projectors featured various birds from around the world, as well as a phoenix. And then the, the, the rounders were the band who was playing at this rock concert in March of 1970. And the song was called, If You Want to Be a Bird. Okay. All right. So what are they trying to send? Bird, 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 bird. There's five volunteer telepathic receivers each located in a 100-mile radius from the concert's location in Manhattan. All five of the participants were told the location of the concert and directed to record their images at midnight, at which time the target material would be uh, exposed. So one of the receivers had the impression of something mythological, like a griffin or a phoenix. Uh, The second, third, and fourth research participants reported images of a snake, grapes, and an embryo in flames. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, the fifth participant uh, was Richie Havens, the celebrated American singer and recording artist. So it was a musician as the fifth participant. And he reported closing his eyes at midnight and visualizing a number of seagulls flying over the water. So two out of the five people got pretty close. Yeah. Although that's a pretty small sample size and a bird right. is a pretty like universal image. It's pretty like, but they didn't tell him what it was, but I mean, the the fact that it was a bird. Yeah. And so the next time they try to do it in February, 1971, they get the Grateful Dead to do it with 2000 people in the audience. And then they get uh, two people in there as telepathic receivers. And one of them um, is sleeping at the laboratory. The other, the other uh, woman is now she's sleeping at home. And, but she was awakened by telephone from, night to night, from time to time during the night and asked for dream recall. So they would wake her up and then have her tell her what she was dreaming about. And so this is the cool thing is that they've got this six-slide sequence facing you know the audience. And uh, the 2,000 people see like, you're about to participate in the ESP experiment. In a few seconds, you'll see a picture. Try using your ESP to send this picture to Malcolm Basent. Malcolm Besant is one of the guys. Okay. So they pick his name, right? Uh-huh. He will try to dream about this picture, try to send it to him. Malcolm Besant is now at the Maimonides Dream Laboratory in Brooklyn. So they're saying where he is. They're saying his name. We want you to send it to him. And this is, there's no cell phones or anything like that. This is 1971. And then they, they randomly select an art print to show on the screen. And the members of the Grateful Dead, they talked about it a little bit. And they you know, told him, send the image to Brooklyn. And... So this idea was, what would happen if 2,000, you know, 2,000 people were sending the message all at the same time? Mm-hmm. Would the guy be dreaming about it? So then what happens is they had the dream transcripts, and then they gave uh, several judges copies of the six art prints selected for use in the study. And it, this, this whole thing, they did this for like six different nights. And so the judges would look at the art prints and then look at the dream transcripts and see how close they would have gotten. And they said, uh, well, it wasn't, you know, this great, mm-hmm. you know, super <laughs> example. It was basically uh, the results were only one of the nights seemed to be that close for both of them. So they got close out of both of them. And it said that maybe the results were 12 out of 100 in chance. So every 100 times they did this, maybe 12 times, that chance would happen that uh, they would both get those correct, you know, close to the prints in their dreams. So you really couldn't determine if 2,000 telepathic transmitters were better than Uh, one. Okay. So that's kind of... Inconclusive. Inconclusive. And we had the same problem when we tried our own dream telepathy (laughs) experiment. Yeah. Uh, and so we tried to do something similar at State Fair this year because 
I was doing a investigation that night. Allison and I were doing an investigation that night. And it was based around uh, if someone who was sleeping in a haunted place would see some extra haunted stuff uh, or they would see things that, or hear things that were related to the hauntings in their dreams. Well, we tried to do it. Uh, we also tried to replicate the experiment. Now, it wasn't at the same time. It was later on. So we were sending it to the future during the show. Yeah, that is a different situation. But during our song about Stonehenge, Mother of Time, we tried to send this picture of Stonehenge to a girl named Madeline who'd be dreaming. And later on that night after, she never hit REM sleep. Like, yeah, because, not... because of the circumstances, yeah, she didn't... Not ideal did for the even dream? experiment. Yeah. I don't know if she even dreamed, but we're try- this is the first time we tried <laughs> yeah. it, right? And that doesn't mean, I mean, the Grateful Dead tried it a bunch of nights. We can still yeah, try it definitely. again. Yeah, definitely. But I, show, you know, I showed her then four different pictures after she had woken up, and I'm like, which of these, did you dream about any of these pictures? And she picked, instead of picking out Stonehenge, she picked out a picture of like a city. Oh, She's like, okay. the city speaks to me. Okay. And I'm like, oh, Dang. I wish the stones had spoken <laughs> to you. Yeah. You know, but, you know, that kind of idea that, all right, maybe more senders aren't better than one sender at a time. Because it seems like most of the statistically significant data and research has been done with just one sender to another sender. Yeah. Um, there was one more interesting study that I thought now, Stanley Krippner has been doing this for years and he's super interesting. He's still alive. So we're going to beg him. Ooh, the podcast hey, cool. One of these days, cause he's really interesting and smart too. And plus he's got rock and roll stories from the sixties. Oh, yeah. So you know, he'd be the perfect person to talk to. So, uh, there was a very cool study done, um, in 2013 where they were trying to see if people could dream information about other people without knowing who they are just by looking at their picture. And so what they would do is they were shown a picture of someone that they did not know. And they asked them, we want you to go to sleep tonight and we want you to dream about a health problem they have. The experimenter didn't know about the health problem and the participant didn't know about the health problem. And so they had a class of like 65 students and like 12 students volunteered to do it. And that was the first experiment. Uh, in the second experiment, I think, like another 50 did it. So they ended up having, in the end, uh, like, a, like 150 students who did this kind of thing in three different experiments. Um, in one experiment, they didn't see a picture. It was just this idea of, we want you to try to dream about somebody with a health problem. In the second experiment, they saw the picture. In the third experiment, they saw a picture that was computer-generated and the target individual was fictitious. So they saw like a face that wasn't a real person. Nice. Like an AI created face or whatever like they do now. And they would go through um, and they tried to score their dreams. And their conclusions were basically that um, people who saw the picture of the person uh, and then tried to reflect about their health problems the next day in their dreams or, or what they saw in their dreams... The ones that actually did dream about the person that they were trying to dream about, if they saw the picture, it seemed like statistically the results they got compared to chance, which the chance is very low for something like this because you're just guessing out loud what they could have. They did find a statistical significance in young, healthy adults dreaming details about the personal problems of an unknown individual simply by looking at their target and then planning to dream about that individual's problem. And so, I mean, we can get into, I can put a link in the show notes about the kind of uh, these different rules they have where they analyze people's dreams. And when you go through and they have codes for things that happen in people's dreams, um, so then they can, you know, they can try to quantify it a little bit. But just this idea that just in the past six years, uh, they had a statistical significance that... Uh, just by looking at someone's picture and planning to dream about them, you can, I mean, more than chance at least, more than probability would, uh, more than probability would dictate, you can, like, learn something about them. So, dream telepathy exists in the way of, I mean, science has proven greater than chance, but unfortunately hasn't proven anything, like, that we can use today. Like, we can't, Wendy, we can't go out and just work on a song tonight in our dreams, which would be great because it would make this whole week a lot faster. Oh, it'd be awesome. 
It would be so helpful. It would be. Um, but, you know, speaking of songs, uh, the song for today talks a lot about dreams, um, daydreams and fantasies, and the kind of things that you think about when you feel stuck um, and you feel like you, you want to do something more, but you got to pick up the pace to do it. So this one's off our first album. Um, and I don't, I don't know if we were feeling particularly stuck or it was just one night we were talking about like the idea of being stuck in a small town and always wanting to get out. And so uh, this song is called Running in Place. Listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oh, it would be so cool if we could have like a lucid dream hangout with our Patreon members. Yes, it would be. That would be my favorite thing to do because <laughs> then not only would we have to not have to deal with Skype and its technical difficulties, right? internet, we'd be able to use. The Wi-Fi in our minds. Yes, and we could all be like in a room together. We could all be flying around yeah. together. Think about how sweet that is. I promise I'll wear clothes, guys. <laughs> I promise I'll <laughs> all wear right. clothes. Anyway, if you would like to be part of a Patreon hangout in uh, online, because we can't do it in our dreams yet, othersidepodcast.com slash donate is the place where you can become part of our Patreon community and do things like the cool hangouts.
Yes. And we want to thank each and every one of our Patreon members for being so cool. And, and they really are fun friends that we've made. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we want to make sure we thank Dr. Ned. Thanks, Ned. He's at the level of membership where he gets a shout out in every single episode. We'd love everybody to be at the level where they get a personal shout out in every single episode. You can do that othersidepodcast.com slash donate. The rest of our Patreons are just as awesome. Yes. And we thank you so much for supporting us and for contributing to the community that we have. Right. You know what, guys? You make our dreams come true. Aww. Oh, yes, sir. I had a dream that my father was going to be run over by a horse. And then the next day I found out that it was really happened. I was dreaming about the fridge. I really needed a beer because Donald was a jerk today. This last dream I didn't try to fly because I didn't want my wang blown around the wind or whatever.